Hello and welcome to The Scrum. It's a podcast we do here at WGBH about politics and political media from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. I'm Adam Riley, and I'm joined today by David Bernstein, our man in Washington, D.C. I think, David, your title is what? D.C. Bureau Chief Head? Do I have that right? Is that right? I I don't know. It's whatever you feel like. uh, Senior editor for excellence in the D.C. Bureau. Uh, You're you're our guy in the Capitol. All right. And we are, I think, going to be joined also by Peter Kadzis, the senior editor of WGBHnews.org. But Peter is mysteriously absent right now, so hopefully we'll hear from him in a couple minutes. Uh, all right, so. David, a what big reunion? Yes, it big, would. Big reunion. Now, yeah. should we start out talking about Peter behind his back? What do you think? <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> let's have anything. Not, to... Let's let's talk about Seth Moulton behind Peter's back, and then hopefully bring okay. him in when he rolls up. Uh, so my sense, uh, largely from watching social media, which I do far too much, uh, was that in the wake of that horrific mass shooting in Oregon. Um, that Seth Moulton has been more vocal than he had been before uh, about the need for gun control, or maybe that his desire for gun control legislation had been lent new urgency by that event. And I don't think it's only what he had to say on social media where he tweeted right afterwards something like, you know, we'll do a moment of silence for the victims in Congress, uh, and then we'll do nothing after that. It's time to act. He also made some comments to Channel 7 KIRO in Seattle, of all places, talking about what he wants to see happen at the congressional level. Let's take a listen. We simply want the Speaker of the House to bring a bill to the vote, to do common sense things that all Americans want. I'm not against the Second Amendment, but I'm for responsible gun control. So, David, how much of an issue is this for Seth Moulton? And is he perhaps, since he's a veteran, situated to work on this in a way that other members of the delegation aren't? Yeah, I think that's that's right. I think that that because he's a member of the military uh, and he's sort of looked at in a particular way because of that, uh, because of his service record, uh, that that this becomes an interesting, a particularly interesting issue for him. Whether that should be or not, I don't know. But uh, and and also, I think that just from the sidelines, um, it's striking because you know you mentioned that tweet. There was such a cynicism in that tweet that that we we sort of sent Seth Moulton to to Washington as the the wide-eyed you know uh, I'm gonna change things I'm gonna work across the aisle and you know and he, he talked that talk and everything and you could tell over you know not that long a time just a period of months how it's become a little frustrating to him there in Washington uh, the the way that that things actually work and you know, I think that that this gun issue is one of those issues where there, like you said, there is legislation sitting there that John Boehner will not bring to the floor. That there's a general belief that if it comes to the floor, it will have enough votes to win, and that it's very popular. That the individual measures—it's not an extreme measure. It's it's just some background check stuff, and also the elements that are supported by even large percentages, large majorities of Republicans, but the leadership, Republican leadership, won't bring to the floor because of a combination of, of factors, you know, basically people who don't want to have to vote on right. on this, you know. It's interesting and to hear you talk about Moulton being, you know, more cynical than he was when he went down. I remember interviewing him when he was running against John Tierney in the Democratic primary. And I will confess, I didn't think he had a chance of winning. (laughs) And he said that he was going to go down there if elected and work in a bipartisan way. And when I asked him, you know, isn't that going to be harder to do, then you seem to acknowledge. He basically said, no, you just ask people about 
you know, where you can work with them and, and you figure out what you can make common cause on. It seems to me like he's sort of caught between that starry-eyed idealism and complete cynicism. I'm looking at a, an interview that he did um, talking about what he wants to see happen on gun control. He was asked about um, whether uh, it was possible to get bipartisan support for this issue, and he ended up saying, among other things, I think one thing we have to do is we've got to get some moderate Republicans to put pressure on the Republican leadership of the House to at least give us an opportunity to vote. And again, that to me sounds more idealistic than cynical. So is he sort of you know, teetering on the cusp of becoming a cynic, but not quite there yet. <laughs> well, I think that you know he still, uh, you know, he still talks in a certain way, but but so do some others. I mean, it, you know, a lot of what I write about uh, in my column there at WGBHnews.org, column DC Dateline, yeah, is uh, is things that that do get done. The little things where where agreement can be found. Uh, Kathleen Clark uh, just got an opioid bill. Uh, passed. Uh, uh, Joe Kennedy has has gotten uh, you know a couple of little things moving down the pipeline. Seth Moulton has uh, has gotten a, a little bill passed. And, you know, and Nikki Tsongas has a, a accomplished some things, and you hear her talking in a similar way. You do find these things where they are able to find small points of agreement and move forward. But then when you get to the issues that that people really care about, you know, and sometimes you run up, up against something like. That Seth Moulton clearly cares about this issue of of gun control. Yeah, um, you know, you run up against no. That's those things are not going to happen. There is no point of you know of progress on that. And there's two truths there. You know, it is true that things can get done, and and there, it is true that other things can't get done. And so I, I think that he is finding that that's the case. Uh, you know. You have to give him credit. He ran. Uh, this was part of his uh, package when he when he ran. You know, you might say that that he picked it up because he was running in a Democratic primary. He needed to be to the left as as much as he could, running against uh, Tierney in the in the primary. But um, you know, he's been on this gun control. And again, I don't think that he's for any particularly extreme uh, measures. And I think that critics would say that some of the measures that that we're talking about in this bill uh, are not going to be very effective at stopping mm -hmm. the kind of thing that we saw in Oregon. Um, but I, I think that it's legitimate to say that this is an issue that he cares about, that he thinks that we should be able to pass a simple bill that does these things. Um, hey, let me just and, jump and in. And then he found out that you can't do that. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, you mentioned Catherine Clark a few minutes ago, yeah. and she, of course, has a fancy new leadership position in the House. <laughs> what is her new role? And is it important or is it just sort of a cosmetic alteration for her? Well, it's senior whip, which sounds awfully good for someone who hasn't even been in Congress for, you know, 24 months. <laughs> you know, you and I remember covering her campaign not that long ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when Senator Markey became senator, um, you know, so she hasn't been there very long. So to be a senior anything is, is pretty impressive. I had a talk with Steny Hoyer, who is the Democratic, the minority whip, basically the second most powerful behind Nancy Pelosi in Congress. And clearly someone who really likes Catherine Clark and is moving her up quickly. Um, the, the senior whips are basically a, a group of people working under Steny Hoyer who, instead of being the, the regular types of associate whips, the senior whips meet once a week. They don't worry so much about the the counting, you know, keeping the count on the votes for the legislation that's heading to the floor soon. 
They're more about the long-term strategy. They have a once-a-week meeting on Wednesdays with guest speaker, and you know they, they look at issues and how are we going to approach getting the, you know this done later in the session, or is there a way to fold this together with this? It's more strategic. So he likes to always have a couple of relatively new members in that senior whip group just to have a diversity of, uh, of views. And so he elevated her to that position. Um, and what I would say is it's not necessarily a super powerful position like a chairmanship or something like that, but it shows you that she is moving up quickly uh, in a leadership role where where you can very much picture her, you know, getting into greater leadership uh, position. And of course, all of this becomes much more meaningful if and when the Democrats eventually right, uh, right. move into the majority in the House. Hey, let me but stop you right there. she's going to be there presumably for an awfully long time. So, so this is something to watch. You may have sensed, as you related all that, a disturbance in the force, a change <laughs> in the atmosphere here in our WGBH studios. Um, do, it is, of course, do we have all three streams crossing at the same time? Yeah, sorry, uh, a management meeting got a little out of hand. Someone could have come and rescued me, but... <laughs> so where you are got we the now? Clark, uh, David, do you want to give Peter a quick wrap of your take on what? Seth Moulton and gun control? and perhaps the end of his congressional innocence? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was saying that that this seems to be a legitimate uh, uh, issue for Seth Moulton that, you know, that he really cares about. He, he, was on, he ran on it uh, when he originally ran uh, for the seat. And um, you know, I think that he's finding that, that you can, as he talked about in running, you can go to Washington and find little areas uh, where you can find agreement and, and get things passed. Uh, in Washington, but only on really small, largely irrelevant things. And then when something comes up when you really care about, it, that's not how things work. See, I, I, I think with Moulton, um, you guys both know that I'm fairly cynical, but it really makes me feel good that when a newly elected Congress person, you know, is idealistic and really tries to to do the right thing. Um I think, and you're saying that sincerely. I'm, I'm not, no, not a... yeah, no smirk on my face. However, I, I think the sad reality is that um, I think the issue of gun control in America is just a non-starter. That part of American exceptionalism is regularly slaughtering citizens with semi-automatic weapons. And I also don't say that sarcastically. That's a matter of fact. But anyway, there must be. That, that's where I came in. So maybe we can spring <laughs> off into something more uplifting. Well, David, I got to ask you, uh, and then I want to give Peter a, a crack at maybe bringing up some topics he wants to talk about. But I got to ask you what your take was from afar on this. I don't want to call it a scandal because it's not quite there yet. But the revelation that an unnamed individual who is in some way part of Marty Walsh's city hall called local businesses to warn them not to work with non-union labor uh, when the crew of the uh, Bravo show Top Chef was doing exactly that, warning that they'd be picketed if they did that. This is restaurants in Boston. Now the mayor has hired uh, Peter, what's his name? Brian Kelly, is that Brian it? Kelly, the Brian former Kelly, FBI. To, to figure yeah. out who it was who did this, which Peter and I talked about briefly last week in one of our fancy TV segments, um, seems like a really, really kind of muscular response to this embarrassing revelation. What was your take when you heard about this? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because on the surface, it doesn't seem like much. It could be read as uh, Ken Brissett, uh, who is the guy who is in charge of that office uh, under under Marty Walsh and who did a similar job for Deval Patrick for years, you know, in the middle of some, you know, some disagreement going on, uh, that he put a phone call over to the Top Chef people saying, hey, I'm hearing that you're going to be picketing. That's not necessarily right. a threat. That could just be, hey, you know, I, I'm, well, that's I'm a, hearing that's this on our said. side. Right. Maybe I'm just cynical because I, I was around for the Teamsters scandal and trial of whatever it was 15 years ago. Where, Featuring Brian you know, Kelly as prosecutor, right? Yeah. And, you know, there were ugly things going on, you know. And 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 also there's, you know, when you think about um, the notion of Marty Walsh, the fear of Marty Walsh running a union city hall, you know what I mean? That the, the worries of what that would mean presumably uh, run somewhat beyond um, hey, we were hoping when we signed this contract that you guys would use union labor, and now we hear that our guys aren't happy. You know, um, so on the surface, it doesn't strike me. Maybe I'm just cynical, but it doesn't strike me as that much. Which is why it's so curious to yeah. me. Why did the federal prosecutors include it for no apparent reason? Why is Marty Walsh responding in such a, a big way to it? It seems to me like there's something there that um... you know i don't know about that by the way you might maybe there is something there i think the feds included it because they could and mm. i think marty walsh uh responded with a strong defense because he's he's learning you know through the olympics through his uh problems with the naming of a new school superintendent to Knock down criticism very quickly if you can. I mean, that's my particular take. So, so yeah. I guess yeah. yeah, I can't ask you to prognosticate. Really, that would be irresponsible to say that. You know, six months from now, that, that's this never stopped be... me before. All right, let's do it. Where do you see this? <laughs> I, no, I, I don't really have it. I don't really have any. You know, I, I would imagine that they're not going to find anything particularly uh, troublesome in that phone call. They may find, you know, oh, there was a ethical breach and you shouldn't have done it and don't do it again. But it'll be interesting to see if it leads, if there's more below the surface, if there are, if there were more contacts, more direct contacts between Teamsters and people uh, at other levels within City Hall uh, that had, that, that were threatening other things or who were trying to move other levers of the city operation to assist the Teamsters Got and... It and cause trouble. Yeah, for... I don't disagree with that. I, to, my bottom line is with Kelly online, it's not going to get any worse. All right, so I have to close by asking if, uh, and Peter and I uh, talked about this last week, but David, do you think that when this news came out that Ayanna Presley and her most trusted advisors immediately convened a pre-mayoral cabinet-type meeting to decide if she should run? Because, you know, in our last episode of The Scrum, oh, our friend yes. Gintaudis Dumpsey has said that if she ran against Marty Walsh, that Ayanna Presley would beat him, I believe it was in a walk. Peter, you look disgusted. Uh, yeah, but I wanna... you, you're, just, you're, you're, you're just trying to get the audience all worked up. Yeah, I, I don't see uh, Marty Walsh. Come being, on, man. Uh, you gotta... What? What? Ayanna Presley is not, is not dumb sh- enough yeah. to, uh, to run uh, that campaign against Marty Walsh unless something much, much... Bigger happens. So pretty much what that's what Peter she... just said, essentially. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with Peter on this one, yeah. 
All right, I feel very humbled Thank now. You, and that's why, because I think our, our time is drawing short, I want to ask each of you for one sort of pearl of wisdom or, or nugget of insight as we go out here. I'm not going to try to offer any because of my huge swing and miss a moment ago when it comes to Boston City <laughs> politics. But, but I think that each of you might have some little little gem to leave our listeners with. And I want to start with you, Peter Kadzis. Okay. I don't know how much of a gem this is. I, I'm, let's consider this raising a red flag. I find it fascinating to watch uh, uh, Senate President Stan Rosenberg use um, procedure, regulatory procedure, to slow down or possibly stop the pipeline that's going to go through his district in Amherst, Massachusetts. One, I admire the skill, just on a pure technical thing, if he were playing golf. I mean, he's handling this very skillfully. He's not passing judgment. He wants to make sure his constituents and everyone, as he should, get a fair shake. But um, all of this raises an interesting question, and in, in our point is that if you think the MBTA is bad, um, Massachusetts energy infrastructure is as bad or even worse. It's approaching third world levels. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, Senate President Rosenberg squares his district's opposition to this, which is real, with the state's need for, if not this pipeline, something else. Keep an eye on it. Terrifying picture of how we get our energy. Jeez. Yeah. All right, David, do you have anything more uplifting or less terrifying? Uh, no. 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 Well, less terrifying, sure. Well, uh, no, what I, what I wanted to say is as you look at the Massachusetts political map, uh, that we are in a status quo period for uh, the foreseeable future. That basically what happened was that all that action we had over a five-year period completely, you know, reshook all the, the map and whatever the metaphor is, you know, all the, the pieces fell into their new places, you know. Talking Ted and, Kennedy's, uh, Ted Kennedy's exit, uh, passing away yeah, an exit it, from the I, Senate, I mean, it, Martha I mean, Copley and Scott have, Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it, basically, there are four granddaddy top-of-the-ladder offices in Massachusetts, the two Senate seats, governor and, uh, and mayor Boston. So at the start of 2009, you had Kerry and Kennedy, who were in their seats forever. You had Menino, who was in his office forever. Mm -hmm. And you had Deval Patrick, who was in his office eight years, a full eight years, you know, which is forever. So everything was set. Nothing was moving beneath him. You know, everything. And then the big four, you know, two of them passed away. Two of them are out of elected office and elected politics for yeah. For the foreseeable future, if not, you know, it wasn't like they moved from one office to another. They're just out. So that caused, you know, there was a whole shakeup over the period of five years. We had a lot of fun, a lot of fun races. But now everything's stopped and everybody's going to be where they are. You know, this is why you don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of opposition to Charlie Baker, a lot of, you know, outspoken because nobody's going to be running any for anything soon. Nobody's challenging any of the, the members of Congress. Nobody's raising any issues. Nobody's criticizing, uh, yeah. you know, the mayor of Boston or jumping in in a big way in these, you know, mayoral races that are happening across the state uh, this year. It, just everyone's sort of playing safe because nothing's yeah, going to change for a long time. You know, I think that's part of why you saw such uh, excitement about Bernie Sanders coming to town, you know, because it. it that's where the, the interest is right now is in stuff going on elsewhere. And oh, there's so a you, lot 
lot going on in New Hampshire. You know, in the Senate race, there's going to be a big governor's race and, of course, the presidential. So just briefly, you see that as, uh, among other things, a sign of, of boredom in other polit- uh, political venues? Because I just took that as genuine enthusiasm for Sanders' message. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of those people were the same people who were going to Don Berwick rallies. I mean, obviously not 20,000 of them, but, you know, they got uh, excited about some gubernatorial candidate, a mayoral candidate, something here, something there, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Elizabeth Warren Senate races. Yeah, They're yeah, looking for the next saying. thing to be. I, I'm not taking anything away from Bernie Sanders, you know, and I'm also not taking away anything away from how many people Don Berwick social uh, how many people uh, you can draw to listen to a socialist in Boston uh, yeah. in October you know <laughs> oh, the students are back let's have a rally with a socialist you know um, <laughs> I, I don't know I, I have to tell you it 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 um, I wish I had gone because I remember when early on when Gene McCarthy I mean I was in mm. high school I mean but when Gene McCarthy came to Boston People were amazed at how many people came. How many people came to see him at BU? I mean, I was amazed. I couldn't get in the hall. I was in the the overspill. This Bernie Sanders, you know, Gene McCarthy wasn't elected, but Gene McCarthy became a force, and I think Bernie Sanders might be I'm, might be more of a force than any of us are giving him credit for. All right. On that dramatic note. That's going to do it for this week's Scrum. Peter Kadzis, David Bernstein, remotely, our man in Washington. Thank you both for being here. My you, pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> By the way, you David, said... great column this week. Oh, thank you. So, listeners, if you like the podcast operation we have going here, you can find links to past episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, or on our website. That's wgbhnews.org slash scrum. And listen, if you have something you'd like to tell us, ideas, suggestions, criticism, you name it, Fire up your internet machine and send us an email at scrum at wgbh.org. Our producer is Amanda McGowan. Our engineers were Alan Mattis and Steve Clark at WCVE. Guys, thank you both. Thanks as well to David Bernstein and Peter Kadzis. I'm Adam Riley, and The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.